Good morning, afternoon, or evening, wherever you are in the world, and welcome to the Bloody Awesome Movie Podcast. My name is Matt Hudson from What I Watch Tonight, and joining me from across the pond as ever, he's the statesman to my kingsman. It's John Burke, or Mr. Burke if you're nasty. He certainly is rocking the microphone with a voice that's raspy. Hey, John. Hey, buddy. How's it going? I like, man, we're going to have to start upping our game if you're going to start adding stuff. Uh (laughs) Up a roach there. Yeah, I'm a big fan of Papa Roach back in the day. Um, I remember, I remember. So was I too. I saw them live in about 2001. I saw them a couple times. I saw them at um, Ozfest, I believe. Nice. Uh, he uh, he dented his head with a microphone like pretty hard. Like, um, <laughs> Jack he, like, could be and, like You could see it. And then uh, my favorite show is though, right after the Getting Away With Murder album, they played this little venue in Orlando called The Social. Um, and I, I like, it's... I mean, hundred person, like it's packed kind of venue, and it was because they, you know, their second album dropped pretty hard after it yeah, yeah, like, blew up, and so their third album they started to make a comeback, but they hadn't hit that yet. So uh, I, I shook his hand while he was singing. It was that small of a venue, like it was, like ah, it was pretty cool. But nice, I saw show. them. They were they were headlining, and it was in Hackney, I think it was, and uh, Puddle of Mud were on a support card, which was pretty cool. And Puddle of Mud also supported Corn. When I saw them in the Untouchables tour, ah, nice. I saw them a couple of times as well. You did, and now, uh, uh, and that was back in a day when pro- you were you were probably similar to me, where it was like, right, this is all I'm going to listen to. This, whereas now we flourish mm-hmm. and listen to anything. But I am um, so much more open. I, I, I often say, honestly. if high school and even college me listen to the music that I listen to now, like if it, if college me found out what I was listening to, I'd probably <laughs> punch myself in the face. Like K Flay, that's it, yeah, out of here. K Flay. Um, but like Taylor Swift, for sure, I would make fun of myself. Uh, oh, you're a Swifty now, but oh, yeah. I think most people in the world are Swifties. But on that note, how are you? I am doing all right. You know, uh, got my first. Oh, wait. Nope. That's for later. Uh, ah. uh, forgot. <laughs> Tins um, hooks here. But yeah, you know, uh, been uh, been busy. It feels like every time I turn around, uh, there's more stuff I need to do. And then mm-hmm. um, yesterday I had this kind of revelation, like with even with work, I'm like, I'm always spinning plates and like, I'll start really focusing on one. And then I look over and the other one's starting to wobble. So I got to run back Sweet, to really. it. Yep. Just, you know, it's everything's going, but it's very vicarious, you know, like any, any, uh, yep. any lapse, I'm going to drop everything. So um yeah, but yeah, it's, uh, otherwise I'm fine, doing pretty well, and uh, you know, looking to um, hopefully get back into cinema here in in a couple of months. Um, which again, little hook for later, listeners. Yep. Again, this is this is all the hooks to keep you coming in, back guys. But yeah, same here. Yeah, all good in England, apart from the royal families imploding and Piers Morgan's is an idiot. But uh, that aside, it's going well, my friend. And uh, for those new to the bloody awesome movie podcast. We haven't spoken about the weather for the first time in eight. This is the eighty-third episode, yes. so this is something new for you guys. Um, but what we do is we talk about a a film, which is quite handy. Usually, the most uh, interesting of the week, and in the last year now, it has literally been the most interesting streaming film because we've had no theaters. Uh, so this week, for our non-spoiler review, so once more non-spoiler review, we're heading to Amazon Prime internationally. And we're reviewing Coming to America, the sequel to Coming to America, directed by Craig Brewer. 
written by Eddie Murphy, Barry W. Blaustein and David Sheffield. And it stars, of course, Eddie Murphy and Arsenio Hall, Shari Headley, Jermaine Fowler, Leslie Jones, Kiki Lane, Tracy Morgan and Wesley Snipes. IMDb synopsis reads, The African monarch, Akeem, learns he has a long-lost son in the United States and must return to America to meet this unexpected heir and build a relationship with his son. How is it doing critically? Rotten Tomatoes, 52%. Metascore, 52. IMDB user score, 5.5. And again, all around the world, this is an Amazon Prime original, they call it. So um, we've spoken off air, John and myself, so I don't know what John thinks about this, but we were both kind of uh, apprehensive about this because I believe this is what, 33 years since the last film came out. It kind of, it was, it, it never really sounded like one that was going to be great or necessary. So I, I, I went in with lower expectations, hoping to be uh, surprised. And I had heard some of the initial buzz stating that it, some people said it was good. Others said it was not great at all. So that slightly surprised me. So up top, um, I didn't think this film was all that bad. I don't think it's all that good, but I don't think it's all that bad. The people who are saying it's an abomination, I'm not sure what film they saw. It felt like it felt very much unsurprisingly like coming to America, the original, just like a Diet Coke version. It's pretty much it's a PG thirteen version of the first film, but obviously they've thrown in the the long lost, the unexpected air side of it, uh, so they can go back to Queens, basically. Um, and there were some good jokes in it. There were some jokes actually where I did actually have a good laugh at, and there were some which I didn't. There were some gags which were slightly misplaced, I think, especially because there was a lot of social commentary in this and political political commentary in some of the jokes. But then there were also some which kind of veered the other way and were a bit sort of not overstepping the boundary, but not in the not in the best taste. Um, but I don't know. This is probably going to be my shortest review of all time because I didn't really have an awful lot to say about it other than. It's not as bad as everyone says it is. It's fine. It's not as good as the original. If you like the original, you'll, you'll like this one. Everybody comes back for a uh, for a victory lap. Wesley Snipes is pulling comedy again, like he did in uh, Dolomite, was my name, a couple of years ago, which uh, Craig Brewer directed as well. So Wesley Snipes is good fun. The uh, I really liked Kiki Lane in this. I thought she was great. I thought Eddie Murphy was fine. Arsenio Hall was fine. Their chemistry is good together. Shari Headley, fine. Everybody's great. Uh, who who played um, the uh, the son? Was it Jermaine Fowler? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought he was fine as well. I thought he carried himself with with, uh, with some drip, with some swagger. I thought he was pretty cool. But other than that, I don't really have an awful lot to say. It's it's fine if you want uh, if you want to spend an hour and forty minutes like uh, dredging up some nostalgia and every now and then having a bit of a laugh. Coming to America is fine. But what about you, man? I, I actually went into this episode thinking this might be one of our shorter episodes because I don't have a whole lot to say. I ag- I actually agree almost a hundred percent with what you just said. Like it's not as bad as some are saying. Some like if you're watching this and like it's one star, it's like come on, calm down. Like there's way worse movies than this movie. It's just down um, the middle. Yeah, it's it's there's I I did feel a lot of the jokes didn't land. I think the the worst joke in the movie is the joke about. Uh, Hollywood movies making unnecessary sequels. Yeah. It's like that meta joke, just like, like that's been done yeah. too many times at this point. Cause you're not the, like this isn't the first movie to get a sequel after 30 years. 
that's been done now many, many times over. Mm-hmm. It's the jokes. We got to leave those jokes in the past with those old movies. Cause it's just not there uh, to make. And it yeah. felt unnatural. It felt um, forced. And um, I, I, I think the performances are there. I did feel like Arsenio Hall was uh, not used a lot compared to the original film where he's a co-star. He felt like a much to the backseat and granted he is still in some of the extra roles. Um, I was surprised that they shot. That's true. Those, yeah. Yeah. They shot a lot of those sequences like they shot them in the eighties rather than doing like CG, like forced perspective or like, you know, split diopter type shots. They, they did the, the shot reverse shot with just oneers. I was surprised that they didn't update that, but I actually kind of refreshingly surprised, like, cause it felt like the old movie and those sequences, uh, but there weren't enough of those. And then uh, the movie does one thing, and this might be a spoiler, but I'm going to go ahead and throw it out there. Um, it's not a hard spoiler, but it's a, it's a light spoiler. So if you don't want any spoilers, skip ahead about 20 seconds or so. But Kiki Lane's character is uh, his daughter and should be the heir to the throne, but because of the old ways, she can't be. Yeah. And the movie tries to do the feminist, like, look, we, we're, we're modernizing. But rather than making that the story, which would have been great, it's it's like this pat yourself on the back because we're feminists now. Like at the end, like no, we we did it right. It's like yeah, but you didn't movie because the we movie's not it, about but her. We're still gonna make him the king. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah. We're it, still gonna make her help him out the whole way. That's what that's what she's there for is to fight the bad guys, but make sure that that guy over there is okay in the end. Yeah, it's one of those movies where like you do everything wrong, and then at the end you're like, well, here's what we should have done. And you're like, yeah, why didn't you make that the movie? Like that was the movie. Um, with him, you know, her bucking the system, her fighting, and she's she's relegated, and she is such a good actress. She has done so much, and again, not to take away from Fowler, I think Fowler does really well. Um, mm-hmm. I think Leslie Jones is uh, actually funnier than she's been in some of the other movies I've seen her in. She's a little, a little out there with some of the humor, which reminds me of like Melissa McCarthy style, and I don't like that style where yeah. it feels improv and it feels like I'm going to say the most outrageous thing imaginable to try to get a laugh. I don't th- I don't respond well to that because I don't think that's often funny. Big. Yeah, it's like it's you know I like a little nuance with my humor. Um, but uh, anywho, um, there, there, you know, it, it is an unnecessary sequel, but it's definitely not the worst version that we've gotten of this phenomenon of this nostalgia shopping yeah, of of old pro- properties. And I love the original coming to America. Um, I was excited to see everybody back. We got James Earl Jones back who we're not listening. Cause he's, he's a very small role in this one. Same thing with the, uh, the father-in-law is um, I'm forgetting his name right now, but he's, I'm, I'm going to go back to the original film because it's easier to just to pull from that. Um, John Amos, who I always like when he's in stuff, he's always good. And then uh, Louis Anderson, who I, I don't know. I feel like maybe he is, a little too vocal for the the wrong perspective at this point in politics, but I always liked Louis Anderson as a kid. He had the the, the animated series uh, something Louis. I, it was a he was like a kid cartoon, but I used to watch that as a kid. So I was always been aware of Louis Anderson. Generally liked yeah. him and things. Um, and so him being back on, I was like, oh look, they got everybody. Uh, so you know, again, some of the jokes really don't land. Um, <laughs> but it's it's. It's fine. It's definitely skippable. Um, I don't think even if you're if this if coming to America is your favorite movie of all time, I think you could still skip this one and you'll be all right. You know, just rewatch the original. Uh, a lot of the jokes are going to be the same. I mean, they go like I was 
uh, suspicious how they would pull off the barbershop guys because those barbershop guys were in their 50s and 60s in the 80s and now they they look exactly the same yep. <laughs> 33 years later i'm like uh, i'm pretty sure they're dead guys like i think that would be the case they most likely would be de- at least one of them would be dead right like statistically speaking they, they would have died dead. of old age and like they didn't even go that route they just like recreated the exact setup uh and i'm like all right i guess everybody survived for a long ass time it's fine um <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm trying to think of anything, but had they had Kiki Lane as the uh, as the rightful heir, which she was, in at least it would have felt fresh. It would, it would have also had people saying uh, it's too much of a, a contemporary woke take, but it would have felt it would have felt right. It would have been a little bit different, well, especially with the refreshing ending. take on it, especially with the ending. Exactly. Um, what else have I got to say? Uh, there was a couple of just like improv dance numbers in there, which were. It's kind of like cameo of the week for singers. Um, uh, poor, yeah. Other yeah, than that, definitely there were some uh, forced cameos in this, which uh, to be expected well, yeah. from a thirty-three year sequel. Well, because we had, um, I'm trying to think, because we had similar thoughts about uh, Bill and Ted Face the Music. Yes, uh, coming up from, and I, I enjoyed coming to America as well, the first one, and we really like, and I know you dig Bill and Ted, and I really like them as well, and we were kind of a bit reticent about this, this, this new film, thinking, oh. You know, is it really going to hold a candle? Will it fit in well? Or will we have a kingdom and a crystal skull situation here? Sorry for fans of that film. Um, and I don't think we have. I just, it's just, I think Bill and Ted Face the Music, I remember saying, was a good feel good film, even if it wasn't great, a great film. It's still a lot of fun. And I guess this felt, this wasn't as good as, I didn't have as much fun here with, as I did with Face the Music, but it almost felt, falls into the same category. It's not great, but I had some yeah. fun with it. it. It actually, they're almost exactly the same time difference too uh 89 for bill and ted so uh, yeah um, 32 years yeah but obviously uh they're they're younger guys i think than murphy was uh by a few years i think Mm -hmm. um but at least five or six years i would imagine but um but yeah but again i don't think this movie doesn't have the the overall optimism of anything like they call into question that he's sold out like he's not the man that he was like arguing to be in the first one where i think bill and ted they they are the the same but they were already like optimistic and everything. And then the kids, you see their positivity, like their influence and how they've rubbed off on them. And then it is, you could almost argue again, though, they could have, what if they had had a son and like that, you know I mean? They did go the feminist route in Bill and Ted's rather than like half commit. They went all in on that. And I think that's another difference. So, um, man, uh, you know, I don't know, but I, I, if you had to ask me which one I thought was funnier back in the day, though, I do think coming to America is a funnier movie than Bill and Ted. As much as I love Bill and Ted, I think coming to America is substantially better comedy. And it pushed some boundaries even back then, but it, it, it worked then. Mm-hmm. So, oddly enough, it, it was a very funny film. And the, the worry was how are they going to pull off a similar vibe? And then when they realized it was only a PG 13, you know, what, what was it going to be a completely watered down? It's not totally watered down, the- but the the other thing that um before seeing it i was pondering like how how does he have to go back to queens to get an heir mm-hmm. because i'm i'm like wait what happened from the end of the Whoa. first movie yeah. and then they they have to force that plot point in right they have to like Literally. retcon the 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 story so that it will even make sense and that makes it even more of an argument for kiki lane's story right because they wouldn't have had to force that one that would have been a very organic entry point instead you have this kind of nonsense oh there's this one incident that took place that you don't recall uh because it wasn't in the movie so we've retconned it 
Um, do, yeah, do you remember? Do you remember how much he fought for his for his uh, for his love for his quick love from Queens in the first film? At mm-hmm. the same time, though, this was happening, and uh, it's, this know, was, this he, was forced upon him. He was drugged, so you know that 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 whole <laughs> that whole element. See, if that just proves that it should be Kiki Lane's story, right? Like that they had to force this story to even remotely make sense, and it wasn't in like a way that's. I mean, it's believable. But it's also like, yeah, but we were with them the entire time. So we would have seen that happen. Like, there's also um, that kind of moral issue of drugging someone and then, and then doing, well, you, everybody knows what we're getting at, then having yeah. sex with them afterwards. It's, yeah, yeah. There's some boundaries there, which are slightly blurry, then, in the, even in this comedy. Years later, back to the, uh, well, I guess, I guess Arsenio Hall drugged him. I don't know. It's all dumb. Um, but uh, it could have, it, it definitely would have been, I think, a better overall story. Like the movie would have made more sense had they gone a different direction with it instead of trying to force um, this. Because uh, even a more s- simple idea would just be the traditional princess story. Like sh- he's trying to marry her up. Like brave. You take the brave story and just, you know, she doesn't want to get married because she's a warrior. And and then there's the story. Um, and he, but it's a, from a king's perspective. He, him trying to deal with like, you know, being an actual king. Cause that's the thing. He's afraid to buck tradition, but that's not who, he, you know, like there's, there's things that you could deal with that, which would have been really engaging. And obviously we're wishing for a movie that it isn't. And so our review of this movie that it was, is that it's fine. It's, it's mediocre. It's skippable. Um, I think the fifties are pretty accurate. Like it's just in the middle. It's down the middle. Um, I, I didn't see anything that is worth, um, raving about though like not raving in a good way or, or in a bad way i don't see anything that's just like you gotta you gotta fight this movie or anything like that so I, i'm done i'm, I'm gonna stop because i just keep rambling on about stuff that i have nothing else to add yep same here dude and i think a lot uh, a lot of people put quite a lot of stock in rt which is great if your film's doing well but when you see 50 percent, you think oh it's it's a failure that's still one in every two people. Like me, out of me and Joe, not us, we both thought it was fine. But it's still like one in every two people think it's a decent film. That's not a bad return. It's and it's just a number at the end of the day. But uh, yeah, I think that kind of wraps up our uh, coming to America uh, review. Both thought it was passable. Uh, go check it out. It's an Amazon Prime. Let us know what you thought. Let us know if you thought it was a worthy successor or just fine or a bit of rubbish. But we'd love to know. But now we're going to move on to our next segment which is simply called chuffed headlines and john and myself we pick a pop culture or movie news headline that caught our attention for some reason or another and we uh we tell you all about it so john what have you picked for this week um well the critics choice awards happened and we did talk about the golden globes which are trash and we shouldn't talk about and uh (laughs) i didn't realize how much trash the golden globes were until recently like how bad the institution was um more more and more film people have been talking about it and i'm just like astonished that it gets to be on tv but uh critics choice i felt was worth discussing especially because i think it mirrors some of our hopes um Mm -hmm. and not all of them but it mirrors some of them and i thought we'd just go down the big winners real fast all right yeah, uh, yeah, man. Best picture, Nomad Land. Think that's a fair, uh, a fair winner. Not my personal pick, but really, not really a surprise, good. So is it? No, not at all. Right? It's con- it's kind of aiming where we were looking at the Oscars going, which we still haven't heard those nominations just yet, but those are coming up soon. We've got the Baftas in between as well. Um, Chadwick Boseman getting Best Actor yeah. uh, for Ma Rainey's, which I he was supporting on Golden Globes, right? Yes, he was. If he, uh, I think if if he's going to get a nomination at the Oscars, I think it would be. Or would it be lead? I think it, I don't know. I, he's been supporting it for else. That's what I thought too. But he is the lead male performance yeah, in yeah. that movie. 
Um, and it is, it is kind of his movie to me when I watch it, like Ma Rainey should be the lead, but I didn't feel like she was, I thought Bozeman very much felt like the, the central of the story. I mean, um, he's more antagonistic. Yeah. Um, best actress. I I'm very excited to say (laughs) Carrie Mulligan for promising young woman. That's been the movie I've been championing for a while. Um, would love to see her win the Oscar as much as I love McDormand. And I thought she was fantastic in Nomadland. She has won twice. So give it to uh, someone else. And yeah, Carrie Mulligan, it's not like it, that wouldn't be a case of let's give it to somebody just to shake it up a little bit. She absolutely deserves it. it that's what this, the best that we've been through this. I'm not going to go through it again, but the best actress for the Oscars, they haven't been announced yet. We've got another week or two yet. It's stacked. Anyone can win it and anyone would deserve it. But right. uh, Carrie Mulligan winning is great. Um, best supporting actor, Daniel Kalula uh, gets his second win. He got that same at the Golden Globes and, I mean, super deserving. And again, that one's, I have a hard time as supporting because I, I do feel like him and Lakeith are both the leads in that movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, Lakeith is clearly the lead. Yep. But nonetheless, uh, Kalula does not feel like a supporting. The lead in somebody else's story, which is right. odd, but true. Um, best supporting actress, though. This one was shocking to me. Yeah. Maria Bakalova uh, from the Borat subsequent movie film. When you compare it to like, I haven't seen it. I haven't seen this movie. You have. I have. Uh, you were not a fan of it where a lot of other people have been really up on yeah. it. I but, I wasn't a fan of the film, but mm-hmm. I remember when we covered it, well, I covered it on the, on our section, our next segment a few months ago. I remember saying that she's good in it. No, she's, she's good. She's good in it. She's game. She's very fearless. And I remember Sasha Baron Cohen coming out afterwards saying, Oh, you know, she should get an Academy Award nomination for this. I did, I assumed because it was just a headline. I assumed he was, you know, still in his Borat phase and was just having a bit of a laugh. Because I thought, no, she's good in it. But and then the machines rolled on, and where we are now. What for me, without having seen it and having no frame of uh, just when you compare Olivia Coleman in The Father to her, I, I am instantly just. Like, I really need to see this performance to be able to make an argument, but Olivia Coleman is so good in everything anyways, but in The Father specifically, that she she winning... Now, again, to me, I'm taking it as, wow, that must be one heck of a performance that she was she won over Coleman. And there's a couple of other... A lot of people think um, Glenn Close is going to win because maybe the, the honorary nod... Uh, That's best lead, though, isn't it? Um, was that supporting? Well, in in this, uh, it was supporting. Um, oh, that's a surprise, yeah. Okay. Hillbilly Elegy, she's not the lead, though, right? Like, I mean, Amy Adams is arguably the lead. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, yeah. But, um, yeah, the best, again, the best supporting actress, same as best supporting actor. I think there's only, before this, I thought there was only maybe a few who, who would probably win out of one or two would be Glenn Close or potentially Olivia Coleman. Um, and like best actor, good candidates, but not as stacked as the best actor or actress. Uh, but this has thrown a uh, cat amongst the pigeons, as they say. <laughs> Interesting. Um, then uh, continuing down the list, so we don't want to get too too much on one thing, but best director goes to Chloe Zhao. Can't, can't argue against that. I am a big Zhao fan right now. Um, original screenplay goes to em- Emerald Fennel for Promising Young Woman, which I am all about, and then adapted screenplay to Chloe Zhao. So, the Critics' Choice clearly have a favorite. They're loving uh, Promising Young Woman. They're loving Nomadland. And then a little bit of love to some other stuff. But, uh, you know, um, I, you know I, I'm a little bummed to not see Riz Ahmed or uh, um, Sound of Metal like on this list. I mean, they're getting nominations, but they're definitely not uh, 
winning, but I, I do hope more people check that movie out as a result of the nominations. But yeah, man, uh, Aaron Sorkin not winning for best any screenplay there is a is a turnout for the books for some. But hey, I, I'm not going to argue with any of those dudes. So um, my headline it kind of kind of pig, piggybacks on that to a similar extent, but it's the uh, it's the PGA nominations, the 2021 uh, PGA nominations came out, and uh, the Producers Guild of America. And they've also picked up that cat and thrown it amongst another set of pigeons because uh, they are, they've picked their 10 pictures for th- their version of best picture. They've gone for 10 films. And I read them out for you and see if there's one that surprises you, dude. You probably know what it is, though. Yes. Uh, they've, for their 10 best pictures of 2020, Trial of Chicago 7, The Sound of Metal, Promising Young Woman, One Night in Miami, Nomadland, Minari, Mank, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, Judas and the Black Messiah, and Borat's subsequent movie film ah. in the top ten films of last year. That's that's the that's the headline. Is that the PGA have thrown Borat in for Best Picture for? Uh, and this is usually a a very very good precursor to the Oscars. Not that everyone who's nominated gets nominated for Best Picture, but whoever wins this, you know, usually is always uh, it either wins. I think like eleven of them have won, and the last. Tw- uh, out of the last 33, 11, 1 and 21 have at least been nominated for Best Picture. I can't see Borat being nominated for Best Picture at the Oscars. I can't, I, can't, I really didn't dig with that film, um, which is, I'm, I'm surprised it's getting so much um, attention. It was, I honestly thought it was a big step down from the first, first one. The other nine films, they are they yeah. are now, including Sound of exactly they are now expect. kind of locked in. Aren't yeah. They? yeah, exactly. But Borat, though, dude. PG, Producers Guild of America have put that as one of their top There's, ten. I would say three reasons why it surprises me. One, comedies rarely make it to top to a best of, right? Like that's a rare feat. Yep. Uh, two, did it have a theatrical run? I mean, I, Amazon has done like I, it probably did. I think it went straight to Amazon. I think that's what it felt like. And it, I mean, I know they've changed the the policy this year because of covid but um but that might be like the most pure like well mank was mank was netflix trial of chicago seven trial was of chicago seven was streaming as well mm-hmm. yeah I, I uh, one night in miami was amazon but i don't know if that was theatrical i had a theatrical run um for sure because it was like one of my local art house theaters had it for sure. So at least it played in some theaters. Um, and I, I, I'm pretty sure one night had a, uh, at least one festival run too, which is like Nomadland had a festival run. So like those qualify uh, almost instantly, but um, I'm not sure, but it's, uh, it, it might be one of the the most streamed. Cause even, cause like Mank and Chicago, I could see having like a TIFF release or something too, because they're big movies. Borat could have had a festival release, but it just felt like it was like all of a sudden dropped in our lap on Amazon. And I just never personally made it to it. Um, but I don't know. I, I'm curious to see if it's, uh, if it's going to get that kind of recognition from the Oscars or not. Cause it did get a lot of heat because of that Giuliani. In, uh... Well, yeah, that's the, that's the main, that's, that's, that's what the film was known for. And one there's a couple of, one of the songs was nominated for, I think it's a. Uh, it actually the Oscars preliminary uh, best original song uh, category. One of the songs from Boris in there. Really odd choice. Really odd choice for it to be in there. But it's obviously working for a lot of people. But looking at Wikipedia for the for the page, I, I can't see anything 
about a theatrical release on there at all. It was it was scheduled for a theatrical release in England, in the United Kingdom, at least in October. I don't remember that ever happening. Uh, but I, it doesn't say anything about it. It just said Amazon Studios acquired the rights and put it out. So I don't know, but it's a it's a big inclusion. Now, I'm trying to think what else I'd put in ahead of that. I'm sure the Father's missed out. I mean, a lot of people have had that in there, for one. But obviously the Producers Guild have got together and thought there's something about this film which has worked for them. So, uh, yeah, we've gone from the uh, the award winners for your side being fairly standard, apart from uh, Maria Bakalova for Borat. But she is getting a lot of nominations elsewhere, though, in yeah. in a lot of Best Supporting actress, Actresses. She's always in and around that category. So it's, it's not a surprise to see her nominated. Maybe winning, some people it won't be, but to me it is, and it seems like to you it is as well. Well, like Borat Golden, being included in the top 10 films is a big surprise. Like The one thing I think the Globes has going for it is that they divide comedy and musicals so that there is a place for comedies to yeah, win yeah, awards, yeah. which something that, you know, I, I can see an argument to not do that for sure. MTV, I think, does something similar, which their, their awards have really fallen off over the last couple of years anyways. But um, when I was growing up, like late 90s, early 2000s, like the MTV Movie Awards felt, to me, I actually like them more at that time because they were like movies that I saw versus like the Oscars where I hadn't seen a lot of the best picture nominations where yeah, I had seen all of films. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Um, the Globes tries to like walk a line where they're both right. Like they're, they're prestigious, but they also have like, yeah, no, but we have the comedies right here. And so like her getting a golden globe nom or I think she won uh, for comedy, if I'm not mistaken, not surprising. Cause it's a, a category for a movie like Borat where the, the critics choice, like that's, she's being put above, prestigious level Oscar performance movies. That's huge, right? That doesn't happen a lot. It's like when Ledger won for his performance in the Joker, people often will cite, well, he only won because he died. And that's like, they, they overlooked the fact that it was a superhero movie that he got nominated for, which whether or not that's true is not the point. It was still shocking that a, a character from a superhero film got an Oscar win because the Oscars have notoriously, not not rewarded genre films it was it took three lord of the rings films to finally acknowledge it outside of the uh the technical awards dude yeah i well i've just been looking at the uh the bafta noms uh they came out about a few hours ago actually best supporting actress uh maria bakalova is in there uh oh, in is. in along with uh a few people who i haven't heard of from films i've never seen either so uh, what I like about the BAFTAs though, is they have a best casting category, so they award the casting directors as well. Uh, so uh, best film, sorry for the for the BAFTAs, just quickly then. They for the best films, the five they've picked are Chicago Seven, Promising Young Woman, Nomadland, The Mauritanian, and The Father. So they've gone kind of full Oscars on Oscar bait on those picks, but um, I'm sure we'll cover those uh, next week or when we do when we talk more about the Oscar noms and how well those films have fed. But sure. uh, let's move on then to our next segment, which is simply called media consumption. How much media have we consumed in the last week? And this is uh, all the movies, TV shows, video games, music, podcasts, which we don't run uh, video games. I've already mentioned those comic books, books that we've indulged on to pass the time in the last week. John usually has a big old list of diverse stuff, a little bit smaller this week by the looks of it, but no less yeah. cool. So JB. Um, so I'm going to start actually with the movies. I usually reference the blank check podcast first. Cause that seems to be like an ongoing thing. I, it's my favorite podcast. I can't stop listening to it. Um, but this week, uh, I watched treasure planet for the first time. 
um, which is something I had like almost zero interest in. I, it came out in like 2002 and I was, I was in college. I had no interest in Disney movies, uh, which to be fair, apparently that's kind of the case in general is one of the lowest grossing Disney animated films of all time. Like it bombed, like it bombed real, real hard. And mm-hmm. I also, but I had like no interest in like uh, the source materials based on tr- uh, the treasure Island. I've never read the book. I have never seen the movie. I haven't even seen Muppets treasure Island. That's how like disinterested I am with this whole concept. And so Dude. I threw the movie on uh, to to watch it and be able to listen to the episode. And I, I even threw it on in the background. Like, I'm just like, I just need to have it on so I can at least have a, a cursory knowledge of the movie. So when I listen to the podcast, I can say I've seen the movie. Halfway through, I was like, you know what? I actually really like this. I'm having a lot of fun with this. I like these characters. What's going on? <laughs> and I yeah. love it. Um, I, I think it's a severely wow. underrated movie and it needs to be seen. And it's on Disney Plus, everybody. So if you have Disney Plus, check out Treasure Planet. Um, I, I am now also feeling I need to watch Journey to Atlantis when I also skipped. Uh, and I already know both of those movies have a little cult following. Um, both have like similar steampunk type elements. Uh, I I was really into Treasure Planet. I was like way more than I expected to be. Because again, JTL's in it as well. Yes, which I had no clue. And he's it's it's before his voice gets like super deep inception level. You know, like Hmm. now he's got that. Like it's it's he's still young enough where it it doesn't have that. So I didn't even recognize it was him right away. He does have the cadence that I picked up on later, but like it's not the same deep voice. And uh, it's man, there's some really cool stuff in it. Uh, Then the blank check episode is great about Treasure Planet. Um, uh, definitely worth um listening to if you're a fan um i mentioned last week that i'm working on like working through some documentaries i actually have to add another two documentaries to this um i watched uh waiting for superman which is a, a film about um uh education waiting for superman uh, no it's oh, about okay. education and and waiting on superman is the teacher who's great is essentially their claim and um oh nice and well it's a very critical movie as a teacher i took a lot of it personal um and like i'm like hey guy you don't know what you're talking about you don't know what it's well one because uh, the big complaint about the the education system is that tenure was still a thing when the documentary was made i've been teaching since 2006 and it was not tenure was already removed from the public school curriculum here in florida uh, if you're not familiar with what tenure is basically tenure guarantees your job and no nothing that you do can have you easily removed from your position so it's like set for life paycheck colleges still do this but colleges usually reserve it to like 10 tenure positions like per university or something like that and if you get it you're set for life but usually a tenured professor is no longer going to be in the classroom. They're using it to do research or they're expanding. It's meant to be a reward for all the years of service. Okay, gotcha. Uh, unions got to the point where it was getting abused and teachers were getting it. I think it was guaranteed tenure after like three or four years of teaching. So you were set for life. But the downside is public school teachers don't get paid a lot. And the work is not the best if it's not really what you're passionate about. And a lot of people, including myself, fall into teaching when something else doesn't work out. I went to school to be a journalist, fell into teaching English because journalism is a lit hellscape. Uh, it was, I went to be a print journalist knowing that print was dying. And, um, you know, so I ended up teaching, didn't like it at first became a teacher. I was not a teacher when I started. I truly, now it is my passion, especially because I get to teach film. Um, but it wasn't when I started and I went a direction that other people don't. Some people it wasn't, but they stay there because it's a paycheck. Yeah. Um, and, 
that's the the kind of the conceit of the the documentary. It is it's not bad by any means. It's actually it was it had a lot of buzz when it came out. I had avoided it because it was I'd only been teaching for a few years when it came out, and I was just like I don't need to hear about it. Um, <laughs> I watched um, another documentary about um, uh, I think it was eight kids uh, called Spellbound. It's on uh, Peacock, um, and it's from, it's from two thousand eight, so it's an older documentary, but it's about uh, the spelling bee. And it's like eight kids from around the, the United States uh, competing in like the spelling bee. Um, if you've seen the movie, uh, the Jason Bateman film, Bad Words, um, it was a yes. fun kind of comparison thing for me because I love Bad Words and uh, spell, Spellbound is more of a serious take on it. But it is, um, it's a it's a compelling doc. There's some really racist people in it. Um, like, uh, but you know, they're they're not depicted as like good people. It's not like they're support, but it is like, I'm like, wow, they felt that was okay to just like put in a documentary. Just, well, they're interviewing one of the kids who was uh, in the spelling bee. Her parents were illegal immigrants. At one point they work on a farm and they're interviewing the guy who runs the farm. And the guy's like, Mexicans aren't all bad. I'm like, Oh my God. Like, it's, <laughs> um, he just felt it was okay to just drop that. Like, um, then, uh, I watched, <sighs> Uh, Michael Moore's first documentary today. I uh, didn't mean to. I kind of was like, just I'm going to throw something on while I was working this morning and uh, before school started. And um, Roger and me is on my radar, and I've been meaning to get to it forever. Man, have you ever seen it? I've never heard of it. Oh, Roger and me is uh, it's Michael Moore's first doc. It's '89, I think. Um, wow. And it's uh, him about Flint, Michigan. It's um, and specifically the the GM uh, chairman Roger something or other, hence mm-hmm. the name. Um, him trying to get to interview him and everything being thrown in his way every every turn because <laughs> he's closing GM plants and, and the town of Flint is like dying. And it's a really crazy look at like social class because one of the things that really got me, the crime rate goes up in Flint because like everyone's in poverty, basically. Um, so rather than trying to build like jobs, they build a new prison to support all of the, the new crime. And what gets wow. me is the rich people have a prison opening party where they go and tour the prison and actually stayed the night in the new prison. And it's like, Gosh, wow, if you want an example of, wow. like, of white privilege, this now from the 89, it was one of the most baffling things. I'm like, is this real? This can't be real. This doesn't actually happen. Yeah. Insane. Just to, prove, just to prove we are, we're on the same level. Let's, let's, let's spend the night in the prison before the inmates come. I should have done it when the inmates are in there. The, the woman the selling the idea of the party, she's like, everyone gets a complimentary mugshot and real fingerprinting. I'm just like, for God's sake, this is oh it's PG this show. It's all, right. all PG. God almighty. Yeah, it, it's it's really worth checking out. Um, I have access to it through the service that um, that we subscribe to for our wow. school so that my students can watch these movies. Um, so that's where I watched it, but I'm, I'm sure it's available somewhere else. Uh, Corey and I did Blue Velvet, the David Lynch film. Um, our, both of our first viewings of it uh, for movie club. Um, How was it? It's really, really good. It's very, very David Lynch. Um, Lynch. It, it feels very much like Twin Peaks. It doesn't hurt that Kyle McLaughlin's the lead. So, uh, but baby Laura Dern, she's like at 20, she's playing a 20 year old, but she looks so young. Um, really good though. Uh, again, super odd, not saying it's for everybody. It's not Lynch films are not for everybody. It's certainly not. Um, it, it's, severely uncomfortable at times it is uh but it's it's i mean the more i've actually watched a few different like takes on it that really make it stand out even more i think it's just like fantastic uh how it's what lynch does there's always layers right like there's just so many different ways to interpret it um and then because of blank check also 
Uh, I'm prepping. I'm getting through all the Star Trek movies, uh, the original uh, series Star Trek movies. And so I watched Star Trek three search for Spock, uh, which is directed by Leonard Nimoy. Yes. Um, I like, I like that one. I don't like it as much as Khan and I am getting ready to watch uh, the fourth one here in the next couple of days as well. But um, I, uh, I think that's everything. And I did, I've started, I've only seen like 10 minutes of three different movies, which we started in classes, but we watched uh, searching, um, Actually, finish won't won't you be my neighbor? Uh, which is my like seventh viewing of that documentary, and it shatters me every single this time. Week. Um, and then uh, um, we started uh, the first twenty two minutes of Snowpiercer uh, with my my film three class, which is uh, man, I love listening to those kids talk after four years of being with me and um, just seeing how they've they've really come around to like talking about movies and stuff. Uh, be so good. It, well, so it, rewarding. It's been so tough this year because they don't want to talk as much on the Zoom. And this is a group that usually I have to like argue with them to be quiet kind of thing because they've been together for four years. They know me. So we have a, a very comfortable environment. And uh, even with, with the Zoom call, though, they, they mostly don't turn their mics on. And today I got at least four of them actually speaking after the 22 minutes of the movie. We only watched 22 minutes of, but the Tilda Swinton chaos speech with the shoe, uh, boy, ah. that got some conversation, man. That, that really got it going. So. Um, we were saying yeah. off air, weren't we, that this time last year, we were doing pretty much this time last year. Yeah, uh, a month, we were doing Snowpiercer for uh, Bampocalypse Now. The Bampocalypse, our what we thought would be a short-lived series covering kind of isolation, quarantine, pandemic films, which we thought we'll do this to see us through to the end. We'd still be doing it now, but we covered Snowpiercer and we, I dig that film. Man. I really do. So I'd be so interested to hear what your, your students think about that. And you've got some Star Trek socks. Don't forget. Yeah, I did. I, I'm wearing uh, my Captain Picard socks right now. In fact, good man, good man. And um, we, we might as well, we might as well cover the first one. Uh, last one of yours and last one of mine now, which was uh, One Division. Yeah. One Division had its series. If I was getting mixed up, it's definitely series finale because it's a mini series, only one season series, unless they decide to do another one. But I don't think they're going to. Um, episode nine came and went, and I think we both had similar feelings on this, didn't we, man? Yeah, it, it it's good. It's not bad by any means, but it did feel um, like, in some ways, it felt too. Like, yep, here it is. This is the end. Uh, I think we were all hoped up, hyped up for like, I think the fan theories as I, I feel, I think <laughs> the best example of fan theories getting out of control was uh, um, Force Awakens, right? Like, I think everything that came out of Force Awakens is the reason so many Dude. people hate Last Jedi. Um, and I think that while Last Jedi, more specifically Rise of Skywalker is a direct response to the the fan theories wandavision isn't that right because those episodes yep. were already recorded but i think that they the writers were probably w- watching the fan theories going oh man they're gonna be so disappointed <laughs> like none of none of these huge theories are even no. remotely <laughs> but yeah the director it, it, said it didn't he good. said oh, i think there's gonna be a lot of disappointed people who, who after this and um my colleague over on the sessions luke said um that oh with uh, and my my answer as well on NPM said obviously with the Mandalorian we had Luke Skywalker spoilers in the last in the season series for the season finale people were probably expecting uh, this Disney Plus series to end on a bang as well which would then in turn mean Falcon and Winter Soldier they're gonna have a big cameo and I think what they did though what Matt Shack Matt Shackman and everyone there Jack Schaefer did was they used the characters they'd set up for the last eight episodes. 
mm-hmm. they gave them a payoff. They didn't suddenly be like, ah, right. here's Mephisto. Who? You know, from the comics. No, I haven't read them. Well, he's here now anyway. Suck it. No, I, I like the fact that they just went with uh, yeah. the characters they did. Whether or not this... I, I like Paul Bettany and I loved his, as it turned out, who his cameo was against. If you haven't seen the... Well, obviously spoilers, but or non-spoilers, but Paul Bettany, I think... Paul Bettany's great. I think Elizabeth Olsen... I think everyone does a great job throughout the series. The finale's fine. It's just... It's just, it's just a solid way to end a really decent se- season, I think, or series, I think. Yeah, agreed. It's it's definitely, and I think what you just said is important. I think it, it paid off what was there. It didn't just throw a bunch of crap at the wall and like, hey, here you go. Um, it was like, no, no, we've been setting this up and this is the story we're telling. So yeah, why would you expect something random to just drop? Um, I do think we want we want more easter eggs and stuff but easter eggs should be that they're not supposed to take away from the main story they're just supposed to reference what could be what could be coming down the pipeline and we know we're getting tons and tons of more content so these these to me these mini series are in themselves one big easter egg they were never going to drop the new thanos or something if in a disney plus original series and i and i i believe Feige when he says everything will connect these will be as important as the films i believe him but i don't think he's going to suddenly give us the the new overarching villain in one division or in loki or falcon witness after they're going to they're going to save that and drop that in a film so i think uh, the, the idea that patrick stewart was going to turn up in one division was you know it was far-fetched because that's the sort of thing you put in a film where more eyes are going to see it and you can get more money for repeat viewing or people going back, blah, blah, blah. So, but I enjoyed it though, dude. I enjoyed it. Um, my list is a lot shorter than yours as it seems to be, but I watched two films and something else, which surprises people. I watched uh, all good things. Uh, I watched it today, actually the Ryan Gosling, uh, Kirsten Dunst. Oh, mystery thriller film from about 11 years ago. Uh, in amongst doing about, five other filmographies i'm also going through the ryan gosling filmography i've been doing that for a while anyway uh but some of his films aren't as easy to get hold of so i've just been going through the streaming films first and the last one was all good things which is based on a true story and i heard it was well i'd heard all bad things about it to be fair but i don't think it's that bad gosling's hair is a bit funny but i don't i thought the film was all right it it was a bit messy and it wasn't the most engaging film of all time but it was fine. It wasn't the worst film I've ever seen. Have you seen that one? No, uh, it's. I've been kind of aware of it because there's a lot of people in it that I like. Um, mm. Like I, I like Lily Rabe, and I'm also obviously a Nick, Nick Offerman Hoffman's fan. in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Kristen Wiig apparently is in it too. So um, Kristen Wiig's in it. Yeah, she's in it. Yeah, and uh, I like Gosling a lot. So I've, I'm very familiar with the uh, the box art for it. But yeah, not seen it. It's, it's worth a watch, dude. Okay, you, you may or may not like it. I didn't think it was awful. I just didn't think it was excellent. It's certainly not one of my favourite Gosling films. I think he's fine in it, but it's not one of his favourite films. Uh, I watched, uh, going through the Harrison Ford filmography, I watched Ender's Game, because that was on Prime. I, I, I can see John's face. Is, uh, he looks like he's just uh, bitten a lemon. I haven't seen I it, but that. there's okay. a reason. I just have heard such bad things. And what also, you, I, on, tell, tell me, go on. What you oh, that, that is crap. But also Asa Butterfield, <laughs> man, that, that kid, um, not good, right? He's the lead in it, isn't he? He is the lead. Yes. Yeah. 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 yeah he, he, I've 
increasingly found him to be less and less of a good actor uh, over time. Like he was so promising when he first popped up and then it just seems like more Haley Steinfeld's in it though. I did not Hayley, know that. Young Haley Steinfeld's in it, man. Harrison, Harrison Ford, of course. Um, it's funny because again, it's just Harrison Ford yes. in a different costume as I mentioned last week. It's great. Yes. But he looks, but to be fair though, to Harrison Ford, he looks like he's in, he looks like he's but actually given a, a bit of a damn in this, in the kind of PG 13 sci-fi film where, I would have assumed he turned up for a damn good paycheck, but he, you know, he's game. He's, he's, he's not phoning it in. I don't think, I think he's, uh, he's up for it. I thought the film was fine. It's absolutely saved by the twist. There's a twist at the end, which is, which I think is actually a damn good twist. I think it's great. In fact, it's not one of the best of all time, but I think it's a great twist. Uh, and that saves, that then elevates the film slightly, not to God levels, but it elevates it from, uh, to, it's not it's okay, it's not bad. Uh, but yeah, Asa Butterfield is not the best. Hayley Steinfeld is young in this. She's yet to become the uh, Edge of Seventeen or Bumblebee level actress or the TV series she's doing now, but she's fine. Ender's Game's fine, it's passable. Check it out if you really want to. If not, don't, but it's fine. I mean, also Viola Davis, Abigail Breslin, and Ben Kingsley. I mean, what a cast. Uh, oh, Christ, yeah. When Ben Kingsley turned, I was like, Jesus, is that Ben Kingsley? Because he, he's extremely recognisable, but he's also uh, he's also got uh, some things to his costume in which are interesting. But yeah, Viola Davis is in it as well. So there's a good cast to it, which I didn't realise the depth of cast. I mean, especially looking back now, I know that we mentioned Hayley Steinfeld. She was younger then, it's not, whereas now you look back and think, wow, look at that cast. But... Uh, yeah, it, it's fine. It's a definition of okay, but there is a there is a really good twist at the end, actually, which I didn't see coming. Uh, and I also watched Devs. Speaking of Nick Offerman, Devs, a it's an eight episode mini series by Alex Garland, the dude who did Ex Machina and Annihilation. And we're covering we're doing Alex Garland on NPM this week. Oh. And I've watched uh, Ex Machina. First time I saw it, wasn't a fan. Every time I watched it since it's so good Annihilation first time I watched it thought it was thought it was pretty good actually apart from the ending watched it again the other day blown away by it Alex Garland seems to have a problem where I watch his films the first time and they don't work then I watch them again and I'm in uh, Devs though I thought Devs was great I thought Devs was really good I was hooked uh, really good performances from Nick Offerman and Sonoya Mizuno who is actually in Ex Machina as well which is slightly confusing because Alex Garland said Devs he wanted it to be a kind of like companion piece to Rex Machina. He wanted it to be like a cousin that existed in the same universe. It isn't like directly tied into it, but he wanted it to feel like the same world. And it does. And it's uh, I won't go. It's a very deep, uh, it's Garland. So it goes deep into things. It's very kind of, it, it does go deep. You really have to kind of be watching and understanding it. But man, devs was really good. I think it's an FX uh, original or whatever it's called. It's an FX thing over there. The BBC played it over here. And I, I'd recommend it. it's only eight episodes for me to sit down and watch a TV miniseries is a lot. So it, which isn't something to do with star Wars or like witches or something. It's at one division. So I, I, and I, I hadn't had have, I didn't have any intention to watch it, but I was like, well, I've seen the two films. I've got time. It's only eight episodes. It's only like 45 minutes each. Why not? Let's see what it's all about. Uh, it seems to have got pretty good reviews and, I really dug it, man. I really enjoyed it. So if anyone out there who hasn't seen Devs, go check it out if you have. I'd love to hear your thoughts on it and what you think went down in the overly, like, extremely confusing, but also fairly easy to follow if you're watching narrative. Have you seen Devs or, or heard of it at all? 
I have heard about it because of Garland. Um, I'm a big Alex Garland fan, and I've been waiting for his next movie. But uh, I, I have heard um, the show is really good. I've been meaning to try to watch it, but like you said, uh, we are both notoriously not big on TV because of the the time sync that happens with it. Um, like I almost skipped out on WandaVision because I was just like, I don't know if I want to get into another series right now. And the buzz mm-hmm. was just too too strong for me not to to give it a go. And devs. It's devs is definitely not something I imagine would be for a mainstream audience. It's going to be for the sci-fi extremes because it is uh, Garland does hard sci-fi. Like it is, it is very Absolutely. inaccessible. It is, it is hard sci-fi. Um, but and I'm a big Nick Offerman fan, uh, so knowing that he was in it, and Alison oh, Pill, his hair is fantastic. Ooh, Alison Pill's in it as well. I feel like I've heard a, some jokes about Offerman's hair, so yeah, that that alone is probably worth checking out. It one he does look like he's uh he fronted a grunge band in like the early nineties and he kind of hasn't moved on. It's kind of how he looks and, that, and I was like that's great. But no, Offerman is great. Everyone's good, really good in it. The performances across the board are great. The story, like I said, it, like you say, that's the best way to put it. It's hard. It's for the it's for the sci fi fans. It's not the most accessible show out there. But if you stick with it, you'll enjoy. I think you'll really enjoy it. If you like Garland, I'd, I'd say it's a must. I'd say it's a must. It's like a it's like a a six hour Alex Garland film, as far as I'm concerned. It's it's a really good. And if you're waiting for his new film, this is the nice little uh, this is a nice little palate cleanser whilst waiting for his new film. But um, yeah, so that was what we've been catching up on on the last week. But now we wanted to tell you guys a little secret of uh, about the show. Long time listeners know that John and myself we're cool dudes, but we have to stay bloody awesome. And we have to find new ways each week to stay bloody awesome to ensure that you guys get a bloody awesome experience. So, JB, uh, in the last seven days, how have you been staying bloody awesome? Well, uh, one thing about staying bloody awesome is in order to be bloody awesome, one has to be alive. And <laughs> yes. in today's pandemic times, <laughs> it's hard to know what we can do. So I got vaccinated. Uh, shot one and two. Um, I was able to uh, because finally – um, teachers are starting to get some respect. Uh, we teachers were finally put on the list of eligible vac- uh, people to be vaccinated. I signed up as literally as quickly as I could. The first day it was all booked up. Next day I was on like five thirty in the morning trying to get an appointment. Got an appointment for Monday, um, and I got my shot. My arm's a little sore, but I've, I'm glad to say I've had almost zero side effects. I haven't even I, I had a little headache last night, but I don't know how much of that was like hypochondria. Cause I am a bit of a, a worrier. And if someone says there could be side effects, my brain's like, well, I clearly have them. So, um, all of them now, yeah. yeah. Um, so, <laughs> uh, my, the, the woman who, the woman at Walgreens who I've known for a few years, cause she works in the pharmacy and stuff. Um, she's just like, get some Tylenol. That's the, all you need. If you, if you're feeling, you know, feverish, whatever. But honestly, I took some again, preemptively after the shot. Um, I did, I got my vaccine, went and did my, my, uh, afternoon run anyways um but uh super excited um yeah i you know um it was it's john's getting his guns out by the way uh, well yeah well i was just because that's where i got flexing it's it's very sore uh like right now it wasn't earlier and as the day has progressed it's gotten a little more like i'm like dang i really feel it now but um (laughs) i've heard that it's a side effect that it takes mm -hmm. a little while and and then it, it might go numb for a little while or something yeah 
Yep, and I get my second shot on April 5th, uh, and then I will be going to a movie theater within two weeks of that um, as I get to finally comfortably return to the, the theater. I'll still be wearing my mask, as the CDC recommends, um, even if you've been vaccinated. One, because they don't know for sure how uh, much we can spread, how much a vaccinated person can still spread the virus. Um, and since some people are re- refusing to get the vaccine or won't be able to get the vaccine yet, I will continue to do my part to try to stop the spread. Um, but uh, I am I am so grateful that I was able to get it. Um, I was extra excited that I got the Pfizer vaccine because that was the that was the first one. It's like ninety six percent, you know, immunity. Immunity. That's the word. Um, but yeah, so that's that's what I've been doing um, to stay bloody awesome is getting vaccinated and doing my part to stop the spread. Um, what about you, sir? Uh, if only everyone was as cool as you, John, and did the same. Uh, I uh, wish it was. Uh, well, I've been doing home COVID tests. Who would Yay. have thought? Um, over here in the UK, the kids have gone back to school. So uh, the kids are the guinea pigs, not to get too political, but the kids have been thrown in to get COVID first. Um, but uh, uh, the government, or more likely the NHS, uh, are saying, you know, w- your kids are going back to school, but you have to take home rapid COVID tests twice a week. Uh, so obviously if your child or you or your child has, has symptoms and the test come back positive, you don't send them to school. You isolate. Good. I'm all for that. Very sensible, fabulous idea. Um, so we've all done home COVID tests. So on Sunday night, I uh, called my f- uh, nearly five-year-old daughter into the room. I was like, right, this uh, cotton bud thing, this stick is going to go up your nose. Mm. And and the face dropped. But so having to... Uh, COVID test a near five year old girl, but she's a brave girl. She didn't cry. She could tell that something she wanted to as the went up one nostril and out the other. But um, so I've been, and I've got another one uh, in ter- in terms of recording tomorrow to do. So one up the no- one at the back of the throat, one up the nose, and it's like a pregnancy test. It's great. I now feel like I'm having a pregnancy test because I'm sitting there watching the lines come up, thinking, "Please don't be positive." Um, but my last one was negative, which is great. Everybody in the house was negative, so the Ooh. kids can go back to school. So on one hand, education, woo. On the other hand, it, there's still a gl- pandemic going on, and there's that worry as well. However, like JB, JB's been vaccinated over here. We're having rapid tests. So I'm staying bloody awesome by doing my part and yes, testing myself and uh, my my uh, daughter, a stepkid, to make sure that we're as safe as we can be there, and at least we're sending our kids in safe. And I think it's a requirement now that you that I think because you have to report the test as well. Once you've done it, you scan a QR code, put a few details in, bish bash bosh, the government and NHS have got all your details. I don't, I'm not sure. I'm guessing it's a prerequisite that you can't go into school. You haven't done it, so. Uh, so I've been staying bloody awesome by testing myself for COVID on an extremely regular basis. Other than that smoothie diet, as I was on last week, dude. Yep, yep, yep. And I'm still eating healthy. And JP's flexing his guns. And we've all, and we've been staying bloody awesome by releasing an episode of Movie Astrology 1985. So go and check that out. Uh, look at our socials for that. But uh, another bloody awesome show is done. That is that for this episode of the BAMP. Next week, though, we are... Still staying streaming, but for me, I'm going into uncharted territory. And I can confirm this film is most definitely going to be available. We're going to be reviewing Cherry, the Tom Holland film, which is streaming on Apple TV, uh, Apple TV Plus as well. So, uh, John, Cherry, excited? Tom Holland? I'm excited because Tom Holland. Um, <laughs> I, I, I am a fan of Holland. I think he's a terrific actor. He's uh, proven that to me in multiple performances so far, but... 
uh, I don't think the buzz has been great on Cherry. So, yeah. Yeah. No, it hasn't. I'm excited to get Apple TV so I can watch Ted Lasso, so I can tell you how good yes. it is, hopefully. Um, I, I can wait. tell you how good kickball is. Um, but, yeah, Cherry is going to be next week. The countdown to Justice League is on. Uh, but Cherry is what stands in our way first. But uh, until then, if you want to find us online, you can do. The show is at BAMP underscore podcast on Twitter, B-A-M-P underscore podcast. Uh, John, where are we on Instagram? We are at Bloody Awesome Movie Pod, all one word. That's right. If you still use the old Facebook, uh, Bloody Awesome Movie Podcast on there to search, you'll find us on there. If you want to find me, you can do. It's what I watch tonight.co.uk and what I watch tonight across all the socials and letterboxed. And John, where can everyone find you? Where should everyone find you? I'm at burkreviews.com and on all the social medias at burkreviews. Yep, go hit John up. And if you've got a spare minute or two, please chuck five stars at us on your podcast provider of choice and leave us a nice review. Helps the show grow. It gets more people listening and we get to engage with more uh, film fans out there in a nice, polite and lovely way, of course. But with that, as always, stay bloody awesome. And keep watching movies.